Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we are so glad to have Melanie Grunwald here for The Gifts of Imperfection, Brene Brown Through a Kabbalah Lens. And I want to thank our co-hosts for today's event, Temple Israel in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And would love to pass it over to Rabbi Kaya to formally introduce today's guest speaker. Great. Thank you so much, Alex. Um, it's an honor for me to introduce you to um, Melanie Grunwald who is the executive director of the Kabbalah Experience. She brings over 25 years of nonprofit leadership and community organizing to her position. Engaged with senior citizens, families, college students, and teens, Melanie has extensive professional experience with communal leadership and informal Jewish education. Melanie is energized by building relationships, understanding people's needs, and finding ways to connect them to one another. And it's my delight to... Welcome, Melanie, today. Thank you. Um, and thank you, Rabbi Kaya. It is really an honor to be here and have the opportunity to teach and learn and spend some time with you. Uh, as we look at Brene Brown and her books, um, she talks a lot about the gifts of imperfection. And when I started teaching Kabbalah, um, people said to me, well, what you're teaching in Kabbalah sounds just like what I'm reading with Brene Brown. So we decided to create a class around this. Um, and what we'll spend some time looking at today is a little less than an hour, about 45 minutes of a sample of our class about wholehearted living, courage, compassion, and connection. So I appreciate you choosing to spend some time with us. I think it's a perfect fit uh, between the holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to be thinking about how we can be living a whole more wholehearted life um, in the year ahead. So welcome. So this class, this series was based on the book, The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. Uh, it's a beautifully structured book that has tenets for living a more wholehearted life. What we have time for today is really our, our introduction um, about what is wholehearted living and what are some of the gifts of imperfection that we might bring into our practice so that we can live more wholeheartedly. Uh, and the way that I teach is not a lecture. I really like to call on people um, or respond to raised hands. So uh, Elizabeth Claudney, you're actually at the top of my screen. Would you be willing to unmute and read this text in the box, please? Wholehearted living is about engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage, compassion, and connection to wake up in the morning and think, no matter what gets done anyhow, and no matter what gets done anyhow, much is left undone. I am enough. It's going to bed at night thinking, yes, I'm imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid, but that doesn't change the truth that I am also brave and worthy of love and belonging. Thank you. All right. So what Brene Brown leads us on this journey of wholehearted living is focusing on these tenets of courage, compassion, and connection, and recognizing that our to-do lists are never complete, the there's always something that's unfinished, and that's part of our work. That's part of our living in this world. Uh, Jan Spitzer, would you read the first part about the introduction to wholehearted living here? How much we know and understand ourselves is critically important, but there is something that is even more essential to living, 
a wholehearted life, loving ourselves. Wholeheartedness is as much about embracing our tenderness and vulnerability as it is about developing knowledge and claiming power. The tools we need to work through our journey, courage, compassion, connection. Thank you. All right. So what, what comes up for you between these two sections about wholehearted living, courage, compassion, and connection? What's the first step that she's telling us? Loving yourself. Loving yourself. Right. And why does that, why is that a starting point for living a wholehearted life? I think because there's acceptance um, in loving yourself. So if you have a problem loving yourself, it's going to be really hard for you to love and accept others. Nice. Thank you. Right. And we, it takes courage, compassion, and connection, right? We can't, we can't do this on our own. We're going to look in each of these tenets of courage, compassion, and connection, and then connect them to themes within Kabbalah and within the tree of life or the spherot. So Fran, would you please read uh, the Mary Daly quote here, please? Courage is like, it's, it's a hiatus. Habitus? Yeah. That's an, a new word for me. Courage is like, it's a ha- habitus, a habit, a virtue. You get by courageous acts. It's like you learn to swim by swimming. You learn courage by couraging. Right. So anything that we do, right, whether it's yoga or dance or teaching or drawing or sitting still, mindfulness, right? It just doesn't come naturally. It comes with practice. It comes with intention. Um, I was listening to one of the rabbi sermons from our synagogue and she talked about creating an awe journal, right? How do we practice awe so that we can manifest more awe in our life? How do we practice gratitude? So we have more gratitude in our life. And Mary Daly here is teaching courage. Gets from We get courageous from practicing encouraging. Right? Some of us got encouraged to do that as children. Some of us didn't, but we still have time, right? We're, our feet are still on this earth. We can still practice our couraging. Chaya uh, from Minneapolis, would you be able to read the next paragraph, please? The same is true for compassion and connection. Is that where we're at? Yes. Okay. We invite compassion into our lives when we act compassionately toward ourselves and others. We feel connected in our lives when we reach out and connect. Great, thank you. So again, right, the compassion goes out, but it also comes back in, right? We have to express compassion and practice compassion for the people around us and also for ourselves. And the same thing with connection. We don't have connection unless we reach out to connect with others. Can I just add one thing? Please. Because you asked in the beginning and I wanted to say, um, I think the very first thing that we need to know and actually, I wear a ring that says it. I am enough. Mm. I think that's where we really need to start. That we, you know, we were created by God. This is who we are, and we are enough. Yes. You know, I just started teaching a class on the Kabbalah of Mitch Album, and we're reading the book, The Five People You Meet in Heaven. And our class this morning, we talked about Ruby Pierre. Um, and if you've read the book, you know, Ruby Pear is the amusement park where Eddie, the maintenance man, worked and grew up. And we have a conversation about what's our Ruby Pear, right? Where are those places in our lives that we never feel like we can get away from? Whether it's physical places, spiritual places, the stories that run through our head, right? If we can just say, I am enough, 
that gives us that opportunity to launch and recognize that we can leave old stories, old narratives uh, behind. And sometimes we share our stories, right? It's important to share our stories when we're looking for connection, but there are definitely certain people that it's not safe or comfortable or healing to share these stories with. Uh, so Judith, Judith Gordon, um, would you share about if we share our same, would you read please if we share our shame story? Or if we share our shame story with the wrong person, they can easily become one more piece of flying debris in an already dangerous storm. We want solid connection in a situation like this, something akin to a sturdy tree firmly planted in the ground. We definitely want to avoid the following. The friends who hear the story and feel shame for you. The friend who responds with sympathy rather than empathy. The friend who needs you to be their pillar of worthiness and authenticity. The friend who is uncomfortable with your vulnerability. The friend who is all about making it better and refuses to acknowledge that you can actually be crazy and make terrible choices. The friend who confuses connection with the opportunity to one-up you. Thank you. Right. So we all have these people in our lives. The person who says, I'm so embarrassed for you that you did that. I can't believe you actually said this or did that, <laughs> tripped up on the stage. Right. Um, Brene Brown has a great video on sympathy versus empathy. Right. Empathy is when you can get down in the hole and actually talk to someone and share their experience where sympathy is coming and seeing them as other. Uh, the friend who needs you to be their pillar of worthiness and authenticity might say, there's no way that you could have messed that up. You're so perfect. You're always so strong. You always have your act together. Um, the person who doesn't welcome your vulnerability, um, the friend who says, you know, that it couldn't have been that bad, right? That you weren't actually crazy. You didn't go off the deep end there. Um, or number six, right? We have the friend who confuses connection with the opportunity to one up you and saying, oh, that happened to you. You should see what happened to me. You wouldn't believe it. Right. So, so do people have those kind of people in your life? Um, those are not necessarily the people you want to shame, share your shame stories with, right? That's not connection that, that it's not healing. Um, so what I'm going to take you on the journey in our next period of time together is looking at the Kabbalah tree of life, the Svirot. So the tree of life is a 10 or 11 kind of circle model of spheres or Svirot. And Hesed, Gavor, and Tiferet are the middle triad in our tree of life. Hesed is on the right side, Gavor is on the left, and Tiferet is in the center. Um, oftentimes the right side of the tree of life is connected to the infinite, without end, without boundaries. I look at Hesed, and it's also aligned with the right side of our body. So I look at Hesed as giving, 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 right? And loving kindness is amazing. We all want to manifest loving kindness, but we also need to learn to set boundaries in our lives, right? I had a friend today who said, you know, I'm always the one to host meals for my family and my sisters because nobody else will invite my parents over for breakfast, right? So that says giving, 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 but sometimes we give so much that we don't have time left or energy left for ourselves, right? It's like the cobbler whose kids don't have any shoes or the person who signs up for every meal train but serves their family cereal every night for dinner, right? That expansive loving kindness without boundaries. And then Gavura on that left side of the tree of life, I see it as your left arm pulling in, right? It's the boundary setting, the strength. And that takes courage, right? To be able to say no, to say, I only have five minutes for this conversation. I have to leave by five o'clock, Um no, right, is an okay answer. 
And then the Tiferet is connected to our solar plexus, to our gut, our womb, that center of our body, where for me, I often think about it as my gut feeling, right? If someone says, well, does that feel okay to you? We think about, we check in with our Tiferet, with our, with our centering. Am I feeling that balance between Hesed and Gevura? Am I being loving, kind, and compassion, but also setting boundaries so that my loving kindness and compassion could be sustained and balanced within Tiferet? So Tiferet is really that integration of the two. And for courage, compassion, and connection, we're going to look at Gevura with courage, Hesed with compassion, and Tiferet with connection. Courage, Judith. Oh, I already called on you. Uh, Deborah Levine, would you be able to read for me? Kabbalah on strength. Um, over here, wholeheartedness requires ordinary courage. Wholeheartedness requires ordinary courage. Root of the word courage is core, the Latin word for heart. Courage originally meant to speak one's mind by telling all one's heart. Over time, this definition has changed. And today, courage is more synonymous with being heroic. Ordinary courageous about putting our vulnerability on the line. Thank you. All right. So again, courage is connected to our heart. And here you'll remember we're connecting courage to Gavora. So in what ways do you see courage related to strength, to setting boundaries? Where have you practiced that courage or that vulnerability? Um, I would say that, you know, fear of hurting someone's feelings or of um, someone else not being able to fulfill that same need without you. Uh, I mean, over time, I've realized that's very egoistic in a way because people are resourceful. Uh, I can say no today with a lot less fear and with a little more courage. Mm, nice. Thank you. Sherry Cohn, hi, nice to see you. Um, would you read for us about Kabbalah on strength on Gavura? Um, yes. Gavura can imply might, heroism, restraint, judgment, limitation, and discipline. On a deeper level, it relates to focus and intimacy. Choose one of these meanings and construct for yourself an exercise that you will do every day to strengthen the particular spiritual muscle you have identified. For example, if you choose discipline, then set yourself to perform specific acts every day as a discipline, whether that is prayer, eating, exercise, contact with people in need, or other. If you choose judgment, then commit to being decisive and firm in judgment and decision during this period. Thank you. All right, so especially this time of year, right? It's the Jewish New Year. This is a good time to commit to practice. Um, so what's a spiritual muscle that you would like to practice, set a discipline for in the year ahead. Feel free to put it in the chat or share with us out loud. Right now I see responses in the chat. Thank you. All right, exercise, yes. tolerance, limitation on screen time. All right, what else is coming up for you? Meditation it, mm -hmm. to do all of these things. Right. Sometimes we can't do everything. Them. Right. Sometimes we just have to choose one thing. There's only 24 hours a day. That's why this is per, per, perfection. <laughs> well, uh, for me, this coming year is going to be a lot about consistency. I tend to drop off. 
and uh, lead my life through my negative thoughts. And what's great about this group and Brene and what you're talking about is I can latch on to some creepy cycles. Nice. Thank you. Right. So it's not about necessarily rescuing someone, someone from a burning building, right? Or climbing to the top of a tree, but rather it's about choosing one thing, right? Staying focused, staying on track, staying on what we call the derech, the path, um, for something that's going to help us have a greater sense of connection. Um, Jill, J-Y-L, would you, I don't know if those are your initials or your name, I'm sorry. Gavora is sometimes translated as strength and sometimes as power. Doing real teshuva or acting as Selim Olihim, image of God, come, often comes at a cost. In social capital or reputation or putting yourself at risk. Gavora is both inner and outer strength, going beyond physical strength and mythical superheroes. Gavora includes spiritual courage as the willingness to take risks and incur costs for all the right causes. Gavora also incorporates the idea that we can all be heroic in our everyday lives by living an exemplary life and doing what is right and just. Thank you. All right. So what comes up for you in reading that paragraph? Being more vulnerable. Mm. Thank you. All right, Rabbi Barbara. Barbara. Well, I just think that over time, my my definition of Givarod has changed. You know, it's not the superhero kind of thing, but, you know, the person who just has enough strength to be able to be the care partner or to speak something that's hard for them to say or you know, all those things that, you know, you don't have to be, have like the cape on to be able to do it. Nice. Thank you. Ori? Thanks. Um, I have the most difficulty having Gavura with myself. So if I'm setting boundaries with another person, that's fine. I can set a boundary with my mother. She can be displeased. I am. But setting a boundary, there are consequences, right? And I accept them. Um, setting a boundary with myself, maybe that's why it's harder is that the consequences are also my own displeasure. Um, so if it's okay, we're going to go to bed now, I'm really bad at going to bed. Um, that's a place where I need more givora. Um, and I, I also think of, um, my gender is in process and actually attuning to that is also a Gavora practice. Um, yeah, I think that those are some of the making space and making time to do art takes Gavora. Those kinds of practices with myself um, are where it is hardest for me to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. Right, and remembering that you're worth it. Right. Just as you would talk to a friend or someone that you love, right, to say, I'm worth setting those boundaries. I'm worth getting a good night's sleep. I'm worth having time to pursue my creative arts. I'm worth leaning into my authentic gender. Um, that's also giving yourself permission and value. And it's hard. Right? It's hard to set those disciplines. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I saw another hand up. Haya from Minneapolis. Did you want to jump in there? Sure. She basically said a lot of what I was thinking, but I'm thinking strength is not about how somebody else sees how you do something, but how can I feel stronger in myself that 
oh, this is something that I feel limited at, but I'm going to try to do, you know, two minutes of it today, or I'm going to try to do something, you know, it's not that, okay, from now on, I'm going to do this big thing. Every day I'm going to do this, but today, this moment, wow, I just made me think of one of my, one of the very songs from my show. Yeah. <laughs> In just this moment is to, yeah, is to do it. Don't, yeah. don't worry about somebody else or their belief of what it is, but what can I do in this moment? Nice. Thank you. Fran. Thank you. I, one of the things that's coming up for me is that I think that there's also strength in the notion of pushing our boundaries a little bit, you know, bumping up against the edge of our comfort zone and and um, expanding that comfort zone. Mm. Right. And also giving ourselves grace when we realize that we can't do everything all the time, right? If we miss a day of our meditation or our mindful eating, that, that doesn't mean that we've fallen off the wagon and we're never going to do it again, that we can, get, we can get back on, right? Because today, just this moment, I am worth it and I am enough. I should put that by my bed because I always want to get on the treadmill in the morning and I'm so tired. I don't want to get up, but I just say I'm worth it. <laughs> I can do it today. All right. So let's thank you um, for sharing. Um, so now we're going to look at compassion. Uh, Joanne, would you read that this section for us, please? Am I yeah. unmuted now? You're perfect. Thank you. I'm perfect. No, I'm imperfect. <laughs> and whole. <laughs> yeah. When we practice generating compassion, am I in the right spot? Yes. Okay. We can expect to experience the fear of our pain. Compassion practice is daring. It involves learning to relax and allow ourselves to move gently toward what scares us. Uh, compassion is derived from the Latin words patty and cum, which means to suffer with. Our first response to pain, ours or someone else's, is to self-protect. We protect ourselves by looking for someone or something to blame, or sometimes we shield ourselves by turning to judgment or by immediately going into fix-it mode. Thank you. All right. So again, we're connecting compassion to the sphera of hesed, of expansive loving kindness. All right. So what do we see here with compassion? With compassion? What are we learning from Pema Chodron or these other, these other readings? What does it mean compassion practices daring? Yeah. How has compassion felt daring to you? I think it's daring because it's difficult for me to change. I think it's fine. I think the world needs to change. And it's daring for me to actually look at myself and be willing to admit that it's me. It's I that have to change. Mm. And I have to adopt ways of living. And that takes a lot of courage and daring. And it's not easy. They say in AA, we create our own misery. And I sure do by the ways I think. And it's daring so, and difficult to let go of that. Right. And compassion is very much about looking in the mirror, right? There's a great teaching from um, a Hasidic Rebbe, um, the Baal Shem Tov, sorry, the Baal Shem Tov, who would say, if you see dirt on another man's face, right, look in the mirror, because that's probably on your own face too, right? What, what makes you uncomfortable in somebody else is probably manifesting in yourself as well. So mm -hmm. when we practice compassion for another, we're also looking in the mirror. Uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Kaya? Yeah, um, I think that uh, this idea of compassion requires daring. Is Another word for daring would be courage. And it requires courage because it's 
being able to, you know, sit with pain, you know, compassion means being able to sit, whether it's with our own pain or the pain of someone else. And it takes courage to just sit, to sit and hold pain Mm -hmm. without trying to fix or, or all of that. So, you know, we're a culture that avoids, avoids discomfort at every level. (laughs) And so, you know, especially within our culture, it's, you know, when that Tylenol is just sitting right there on the shelf, (laughs) (laughs) the answer to all of life's woes. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Deborah? Um, I think compassion um, takes courage because our old stories, even though they hurt, they're there, our old stories. And to Mm. move beyond our old stories into a new fullness, a new self-compassion, it's hard, it's new, it's scary. Yeah, thank you. And we talk a lot about shifting narratives, but we have to be aware of our own stories before we can change them, before we can create a shift in our mindset in our and in our lives. Uh, Walter Rouse, would you read uh, the top of the next page for me, please? Oh, John addresses our tendency to self-protect by teaching that we must be honest and forgiving about when and how we shut down. In cultivating compassion, we draw from the wholeness of our experience, our suffering, our empathy, as well as our cruelty and terror. Compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded. It's a relationship between equals. Only when we know our own darkness can we be present in the darkness of others. Compassion becomes real when we recognize our shared humanity. Thank you. So again, compassion is related to that idea of empathy, that we have to be aware of our own stuff before we could deal with someone else's, um, as Rabbi Kaya said, right? That it's okay to sit with the uncomfortable. It's okay to sit with that, which maybe we're familiar with, that we try to push down in ourselves and allow it to show up in somebody else, Right, but recognizing that we're all from the same source, right? We have shared human shared humanity. We all share the same light. That again, we can share compassion with another, even if they're a complete stranger. And right, has said without boundaries can also be dangerous, right? It could eat us up, get beyond our comfort zone, get beyond our skill set of communication and helping of how we might help. Um, the way I often look at Hesed and Gevura is Hesed like a river going down a canyon and Gevura is the boundaries on the canyon or the banks of the river. If we don't have the banks on the river, we'll have a floodplain, right? We won't have contained strong water flowing. We'll have a destru- destroyed, destroyed land. So when we look at compassion, we also have to remember the importance of the Gevura, of the boundaries, in order to direct in compassion in effective and in a meaningful and in a mindful way. Uh, Stan, would you be willing to read for us about boundaries and compassion? Thank you. Yes. Boundaries and compassion. The heart of compassion is really acceptance. The better we are at accepting ourselves and others, the more compassionate we become. If we really want to practice compassion, we have to start by setting boundaries and holding people accountable for their behavior. When we fail to set boundaries and hold people accountable, we feel abused and mistreated. This is why we sometimes attack who they are, which is far more important than addressing a behavior choice. 
for our own sake, we need to understand that it's dangerous to our relationships and our well-being to get mired in shame and blame or to be full of self-righteous anger. If we're going to practice acceptance and compassion, we need boundaries and accountability. What's What are we learning here from Brene Brown about compassion and boundaries? If you've ever watched Brene Brown, um, she has some great YouTube uh, and TED Talks, and she talks about learning to say no. Um, and she said at one point in her life, you know, if someone said, will you help with this bake sale? Yes, of course. If you show up and volunteer at the baseball game, yes, of course. But suddenly she started feeling resentful about all the yes, of courses. So she wore a ring and she taught herself to spin that ring around three times before she said yes. So that when she said yes, people knew she was saying yes because she meant it. And if she said no, they respected that she had clear boundaries on her time and her space and her availability, right? So the idea is we can offer extensive and flowing compassion and hesed, but we also have to know that it's okay to say no. People respect when you say no. As one of my friends said to me, saying no to somebody else is saying yes to yourself, right? That's, we don't need to pull ourselves so thin. And I, I personally feel this around the holidays. Um, we don't need to spread ourselves so thin that we're exhausted and unable to show up for for the people in our closest circles or show up for ourselves, right? I am worth it and I am enough. We need to be able to set those boundaries. So let's go into some of the Kabbalah teaching. Does anyone want to reflect on that? I just wanted to add, uh, this is Deborah Levine. I wanted to add something um, about back to compassion and the fear of pain. Um, I I really do believe that learning how to sit with my own pain, my own vulnerability, is very challenging. It can be very uncomfortable to run into a negative thought and explore it or feel my heart clench and, mm -hmm. and sit with it for a while till I understand why. But I understand from this teaching today how important it is to explore my own pain if I want to be more fully compassionate. Yeah. And also the idea that um, we can hold our pain, our fear, our discomfort without judgment. We could just hold it from a place of curiosity and say, what's showing up for me? Right. And in the, 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 what we talked about right today, just this moment, right. What, what might be showing up for me right now might be somewhat familiar, right. It might've shown up yesterday and guess what? I survived it. Right. And here it is again today. We don't have to stuff down the discomfort or the pain or the unfamiliar feelings. We could recognize that this has been here before. And how do I grow? And I learn from what's showing up right now for me. And it could be something that I need to practice compassion on myself, or it could be a way of practicing compassion with somebody else. So let's look um, at Kabbalah on Hesed, on loving kindness, and how that connects us back down to uh, compassion. And the folks who have 175257, I can't see your names. Um, would you mind reading for us? Kabbalah on Chesed, loving kindness. Tzedakah is the gift of money or its equivalent, but sometimes that is not what we need, what we most need. We can suffer emotional as well as physical poverty. We can be depressed, lonely, close to despair. We may need company or comfort, encouragement or support. These two are human needs, no less real for being untranslatable into the language of politics or economics. Keep going. 
Oh, okay. That is what Hess said is about emotional support, loving kindness, love as compassion. It is what we mean when we speak of God in Psalm 147 as one who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. It includes hospitality to the lonely, visiting the sick, comforting the bereaved, raising the spirits of the depressed, helping people through crisis in their lives, and making those at the margins feel part of the community. It is Sadaka's other side. Sadaka, it is Sadaka's other side. Sadaka is done with material, chesed with psychological ones, time and care. Sadaka is practical support. Chesed is emotional support. Sadaka is a gift of resources. Chesed is a gift of the person. Even those who lack the means to give Sadaka can still give chesed. Sadaka rights wrongs. Chesed humanizes fate. So this is from Rabbi Sachs of Blessed Memory, who I tend to love his writings. Um, the only reframing I would do on this reading is Sadaka, really the root of Sedek is justice, right? Sadaka is not just about money. Sadaka is about the pursuit of justice. Um, and the pursuit of justice isn't also just about physical gifts, but it's also about loving kindness and compassion. So I think the point, the core of what we're getting here too, of Hesed being about emotional support and loving kindness is that, you know, we can use up physical, physical things, right? Someone could give me a dollar and then it's gone. But if someone offers emotional support or loving kindness or love in our compassion, that stays, right? Even raising, I have twins who are 16 and we always said to the grandparents, we don't need more stuff in the house, right? We just want experiences, that's what um, is more valuable to anything, right? And that Sadaka and Hesed together humanize connection and compassion. So the next part of this triad is connection. And we're connecting it here to the Sphira of Tiferet, that integration of Hesed and Gevura. Um, Who hasn't read yet that might like to? Deborah, would you do that? Uh, connection. Define Connection is the energy that exists between two people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, that they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship, until we can receive with an open heart, we're never really giving with an open heart. When we attach judgment to receiving help, we knowingly or unknowingly attach judgment to giving help. The wholehearted journey is not the path of least resistance. It's a path of consciousness and choice. And to be honest, it's a little counter culture. The willingness to tell our stories, feel the pain of others, and stay genuinely connected in this disconnected world is not something we can do half-heartedly. Thank you. So again, now we're seeing this integration of Hesed and Gavura, compassion and I forget, <laughs> compassion and Hesed, right? Compassion and courage that we have to be able to give and take in relationship, right? Whether it's with ourselves, with our partners, our friends, our families, um, that we can give and receive without judgment. And I love this teaching. I quote it often, right? Until we learn how to receive with an open heart, we're never giving with an open heart. How many times have we signed up to help somebody else on a meal train or volunteer to drive them when they're having a tough time or send them a meal when they're not well? 
right? But then we don't know how to say yes when someone offers to help us. If we can practice receiving with an open heart, we can be giving with a much, with a, with an even wider open heart, right? We don't want to, we want to let go of a judgment to receiving help because then we can let go of the judgment when we're giving help. Uh, Abby, what's showing up for you? Well, I think the, the accepting help is difficult because it somehow shows our vulnerability and we don't like to be seen that we need help. And I was reading something recently that um, we, people won't ask for what they need, but we should recognize when help is needed. So when someone passes away and we say, is there anything I can do for you? They're never going to say, yes, you can do this. But instead we should bring food or stop at the grocery store or whatever it might be, just do the act of doing something as opposed to waiting for someone to say. And then I think that the accepting of help is a little bit easier that way than, than actually having to come out and say the words, yes, yeah. help me do this. Right. Yeah. Or, right. or offering specifically, right. Uh, Judy. We're very afraid of being weak or being other than completely sufficient. And I think that the most beautifully heartbreaking thing about having a devastating loss, like a death in the family is is receiving that embrace of the community, it's it's humbling because we all think, we'd like to think we're sufficient. We'd like to think we're equal to anything. And it reminds us we're not, but it's such in such a beautiful, kind way. Yeah, right. And to live with vulnerability, to model how one might accept help is also a beautiful way to make it comfortable for other people to receive help. Right. And, and Kabbalah, we don't want to, we, sorry, we don't want to deny them the mitzvah. Right. Yeah. What a horrible thing to do to someone. <laughs> <laughs> and Rosalind, what's coming up for you? Um, how do you teach somebody to receive help? I have a friend who will never let you do anything for her. Mm. Yet I know how exhausted she is and I can see it on her face. But she'll say, come, and I'll say, I want to bring something. No, we don't need anything. She'll never let me help her in any capacity. And I'm I'm stunned by it, and I don't know how to go forward because I want to give. Yeah. And maybe that's and how do I, yeah. a way for you to share this teaching, right? In Kabbalah, we talk about the study of parallels, right? When you give, you're receiving, right? It feels good. It fills you up to help somebody else. And when you receive, you're giving. Right. So you could even say if it's a good enough friend to say, you know, it's really not about you. It's about me. <laughs> You're going to help me by allowing me to help you. Um, you know, sometimes people have to understand that. You know, I learned um, about the power of receiving when I had twins. Right. The idea that I only have two arms and I had three children. Like there comes a point that you just learn to say yes. And it's an important life lesson. And we're never too we're never too old to learn that. Um, I think it is. You know, a chance for you to teach her or share with her to say, oh, I learned this interesting thing in class today. Um, that, you know, giving and receiving are part of being in relationship with each other, right? I'm not putting you down by wanting to help out or bring a cake to your house when we have tea, right? I'm, I'm trying to share in our experience together. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Chaya? Thank you. Chaya? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that sometimes what happens 
is that we also think that we have to ask permission to give. And so, you know, um, not saying anything about, you know, I'm trying to think who just spoke. Was that Judy or anyways, whoever just spoke, what I would suggest is that if you, you know, they invited you over something, do do we really need to say, what can I bring? How about if I just bring something and say, when I get there, I just was so happy that you invited me to do this, and I want to I want to bring this to to the house. Well, you know, we also, sometimes, yeah, I mean, okay. we also just have to think about how it will be received, right? We don't want to bring something to a house that someone can't eat, right? They keep kosher, or they're gluten free, or dairy free, yeah. or not free. I mean, right? I'm thinking of somebody that's closer to me that I yeah. know that they, yeah, okay. Right. When you know what their needs are, right? Then there's that that sensitivity for sure. Um, Jim. I'm sorry, that was a mistake. I was looking for oh, okay. No problem. All right, so since you're unmuted, though, would you read uh, the Kabbalah on Tiferet, please? Tiferet is the desire to connect and form a meaningful relationship with another. Tiferet, therefore, listens for feedback from the other person before deciding what and how to give. Without hearing the response of the other person, there can only be a superficial connection between them. Whereas Chesed can give a large, rich meal to a pauper whose stomach cannot handle rich food, Tiferet will be sensitive to the pauper's unique needs and will serve a meal that is appropriate. The approaches of both kindness and restraint tend to be one-sided, rooted as they are in their own bias. Tiferet is called the attribute attribute of truth due to its ability to overcome bias and personal perceptions and discover the ideal method of connectivity and resolution. Thank you. Right. So this goes back to both what Rosalind and Chaya were saying, right? We don't want to give a large meal to somebody that can't eat it. Um, We want to provide in ways that people can receive. Um, Toby, hey, it's good to see you. Would you read this bottom of the page to ferret blends and harmonizes? Tiferet blends and harmonizes the free outpouring love of Hesed with the discipline of Gevorah. Tiferet possesses this power by introducing a third dimension, the dimension of truth, which is neither love nor discipline and therefore can integrate the two. Truth is access through selflessness, rising above your ego and predispositions, enabling you to realize truth. Truth gives you a clear and objective picture of yours and others' needs. This quality gives Tiferet its name, which means beauty. It blends the different colors of love and discipline, and this harmony makes it beautiful. Thank you. So again, Tiferet as another facet, right, of, of this emotional triad of Hesed, Givura, Tiferet. That Tiferet is about this third dimension of truth, about selflessness, not saying I'm giving because I need to give, but I'm giving because we're in relationship, right? The compassion of getting down on the floor with someone in their grief, not standing above them. So what Brene Brown teaches us is to practice courage, compassion, and connection in order to lead a more whole, wholehearted life um, is to look at life and the people around us and to say, I'm all in. So my blessing I hope for each of us as we head into the the day, head through this journey of the days of awe, is to be able to spend some time and reflect on how are we each all in 
with courage, compassion, and connection, with Gavora, Chesed, and Tiferet. Thank you. So we have about 10 minutes left, um, and I just want to open up the door to conversation and reflection. Uh, Haya, I see your hand up. A quick question is just, I see that you're the executive director of Kabbalah Experience, and I don't know, you know, about that organization. Is it something that, I mean, what? tell me more about it, and is there something that I can connect with? Thank you for asking. Um, putting my website in the chat, uh, Kabbalah Experience is a center for adult spiritual education, um, universal values, but based on the Jewish tradition of Kabbalah, of Jewish mysticism. Um, we welcome students of all experiences, backgrounds, identities, um, and our classes are offered in person and online. So we just started our semester this week, but we have room in classes if you'd like to join us, um, there's definitely a place for you. Uh, and Kabbalah Experience is not part of any other schools of Kabbalah. Uh, we're our own organization. And we really uh, have launched since the pandemic uh, because we can connect with folks like you around the country. Thank you. Thank you. And I will, so I just need to, you know, um, send to kabbalahexperience.com that I'm interested in whatever. Or will the yeah, yeah. On come our up and tell me? Mm -hmm. On our website, you can subscribe to our newsletter, or if you go to the classes page, um, you'll see what we're offering this semester. If you'd like to apply discount code WELCOME25, you'll get $25 off whatever you sign up for. Um, we are offering online and in-person Kol Nidre and Yom Kippur services this year. So they're very intimate. It's not a formal service. Um, it's really about awareness and connection and community. Thank you very much. However, I was going to tell, just share with you real quickly is that Zoom is amazing. I found this wonderful congregation that I'm part of. Being in Minneapolis, I actually, my congregation is in Fort Lauderdale or Delray, Florida. Nice. And it's a Jewish renewal group that's amazing. And I've been Great. Zooming with them from day one. And now I'm one of the leaders and Torah readers there. So it's amazing. So <laughs> thank you. Zoom it. Zoom it. All right. Any other, um, and thank you, Fran and Toby for your, for your comments. Um, any other questions, comments, concerns, reflections on Brene Brown and Kabbalah? I'm just really struck by how some of these teachings that are thousands of years old, um, some contemporary authors seem to be culling parallel philosophies about compassion and connection. Um, encourage that it's in our own Jewish heritage mm -hmm. so powerfully that more and more people can grasp and understand it is a real bonus. Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot of, right. We, we see a lot, we get a lot of information all the time, but if we can be calling it down right to awareness practices about living more mindfully, um, what we're always talking about at Kabbalah experience is living with greater awareness and sense of connection to one another and to the world, right? How do we shift our narratives to create a more socially just and equitable society? How do we live in awareness um, with our narratives, right? So that we can shift the narratives and the masks and the metaphors that no longer serve us. Um, so it all, right, it all comes down to core universal values. Thank you. What else is coming up for you? 
I keep coming up with the word balance in my head that mm -hmm. all these things are important, but it's somehow I personally need to look at the balance and figure that out in order to incorporate the vulnerability and the compassion. Yeah. And one of the, um, when we teach the tree of life, the Sri wrote, um, we often talk about to ferret as that core. And if you think about being in the tree pose in yoga, like where we have our hands up and we're on one foot, we're never really exactly grounded in the center. We're always kind of wavering, trying to achieve that balance. And Kabbalah isn't just living um, and the tree of life isn't just about living in the middle pillar, but it's about integrating everything, right? All as, as we count the Omer, you see that we're incorporating each sphira into the other. Everything is contained within everything else. It's all about integration and trying to strive for balance, but it's a continuous process. We're never exactly in that center. We have to keep striving. I like being in the center. I like the, <laughs> and that's the challenge I personally going to have. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Would anyone else like to jump in? Uh, hi, I just wanted to say that um, this teaching has helped me realize um, about how connection was so affected by our division in politics late, you know, in the last several years and how entrenched people have gotten in their own bias and how we can reopen those hearts perhaps with this experience um, and way of looking at things and having the patience to also be compassionate, not only with others, but ourselves. Yeah. Right. The more we can express compassion, the more we can work to heal our broken world. Right. We don't have to have divisiveness. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Melanie, I just want to say thank you. I've never taken a class with you and um, I really got a lot out of it. And I enjoyed uh, this class. It encouraged me to come to the Kabbalah Center. So thank you. Thanks, Dory. Thank you. Shana Tova. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Alex, for your help. Thank you, Rabba Kaya, for hosting and connecting. Thank you, Melanie. This was an amazing presentation. Um, and I just want to let everyone know <clears throat> about our next class, which will be on September 28th at 1 p.m. Pacific, um, Rain Nostalgia and Empathy Liturgical Poems for the Holiday of Sukkot. And I also shared a link in the chat. Um, Melanie will be giving another class with us in on December 7th, Finding Light in Darkness. So hopefully you all can join us again for that. And wishing everyone a Shana Tova and a meaningful Yom Kippur. Thank you for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you. Yuga everyone. Have a good, easy fast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeitmidrash.org donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.